Thank you for listening to our podcast today from Crossroads, South Arkansas. I am teaching Pastor David Preston, Jr. I pray that the words you hear will bring you closer to God and encourage you as you go through your day and week. Thanks again for joining us. Father, we thank you so much that, Lord, you listen to us as we worship. We thank you that you you stay with us. Lord, we are grateful today that even as we are watching and worshiping from all different places, Lord, that you are everywhere, that you are not just here and Hopefully people will get a glimpse of you over a phone or computer screen. God, you are everywhere. Lord, as you are here, you are there. And so, God, we thank you that you hear our praises, that you hear our worship. God, we pray today that it pleases you. God, and we pray today that we would never take it for granted. That every time we got a chance, God, that we worship you, not just in singing with our lives. Lord, grateful for the things that you have done for us. So God, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. God, be with Dave now as he gives your word. And we will give you the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for singing. Dave? Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here and uh, good to see you guys. And I've, like I said last week, I've enjoyed watching the names pop up of everybody who's joining us this morning and worshiping with us. And it's good to see everybody. Um, I was talking to somebody just a couple days ago about how I'm so ready to get back to church to see everybody. We've, we've loved our drive-in services that we've been able to have because at least we get to see you and wave at you and uh, make a little bit of distanced contact. Uh, but we, we, we hope to do that again today and the weather just didn't cooperate and we'll do it again uh, uh, next week if possible. But uh just ready to see everybody, but I'm so thankful that we have this opportunity to at least gather together online um, to, to think about the, these possibilities uh, even just a few years ago would not have been possible. And so we're thankful for that. And it's good to see everybody this morning. You know, when I was a coach and I was coaching, I, I think back of memories of that time when uh, when I was a coach and you know, there's great memories. There's there were relationships built with students and with athletes that uh, that I am so grateful for, and uh, the the students had such a huge impact on me. When I think about games, I think about different memories, and there's memories that stick with me. It, it's easy to remember the good memories, but what I've learned over time is as easy as it is to remember the good memories, it's that much harder to forget the bad memories. The bad memories seem to come up. I tell people all the time, and this is 100% the truth, I still have nightmares from the state championship football game that we lost against Charleston. Still, to this day, I'll have dreams about that game and uh, how much it hurt. Um, I remember, and I'm going to tell this story quickly, uh, when I was the track coach at Smackover, we had a great team one year. Um, and we had one athlete that was just, uh, he was, uh, he was outstanding and, uh, ended up going to UALR on a track scholarship. By the time he was done, he had won six individual state championships, had done a great job individually, but we had a great relay team. Now, if you go to a track meet and you watch it, everybody likes the hundred meters because that tells you who the fastest guy at that track meet is or the fastest girl in the female division. 
But when everyone gets really excited, it's for the 4x100 relay. It's a relay race. You run relay races when you're at kids in, in a elementary school at recess, and they love the relay race. The crowd just it starts a buzz every time the relay race starts. Well, we had a really good relay team that year, too. Our, our guy that was really good ran our anchor leg. Um, we have three other guys that really were good at their specific jobs. They ran the curves well or they ran the back straight well. They got us off to a good start. We went through the prelims and we actually fa- finished the prelims with the fastest time. We weren't sure if we would do that or not because there were a couple other really good teams at that state meet. And we got to the prelims and we knew that if we got a good start, and our first leg ran a decent leg and it gave us a chance. If we were within, if we were second or third at the end of the first leg, we really felt like we were going to win because we could get it to our guy at the end and he was the fastest guy there. So we get ready for the race. The place is buzzing. The team that was hosting the track meet had a really good relay team that year too. Uh, they had the second fastest time. So we were at the other team's home field their crowd was ready to go it starts and our first leg who we knew had to have a great leg took off and he ran probably the best first leg he's ever ran he got to the point where he passed the baton and when he passed the baton we were hoping for second or third place fourth at the worst and when he passed the baton we were in first place and i looked at our the assistant that was there and i said we're going to win this and when our second leg took off down the backstretch, he made it about nine or 10 steps. And the next thing I remember seeing was a baton shooting straight up in the air. Now, if you don't know track and field, when you lose the baton in the old days, you were automatically disqualified. Well, now you can pick it up as long as it doesn't interfere with anyone and still finish the race. But the point being is if you lose the baton, you're done. Everyone else is full speed. You have to stop to pick it up. There's no way you're going to catch up. And when I saw that baton shoot up in the air, my first thought was, Lord, I hope that's not ours. And then I see our guy slow down and I realized it was. And the feeling that just dropped in my stomach because these guys had worked so hard to get to that point. And in one second, it was over. It was done. We pick up the baton. What had happened? The guy was running, and as he was running, his leg, just a freak accident, happened to hit his hand, and it knocked the baton loose. And we went from being in a spot to actually win to where we didn't even get to even complete the race and finish. And memories like that stick with me. And they're hard to get over because not just for me, I felt so bad for those guys because of the work they had put in. Passing that baton is important, and you've got to hold on to it to achieve the victory you want. And we're going to look in John chapter 14 today where Jesus passed the baton. Not to us, but he passed the baton on to the Holy Spirit where he leaves, he knows in this time. If you look at the Bible, John chapter 13 through John chapter 16 are basically Jesus's last words on this earth. He knows what's coming. We talked about that last week with the um, crucifixion. And if you haven't heard that, I encourage you to go back and watch that sermon from last week about the cross on Easter. But he knows what's coming and he realizes that he's got to pass that baton. Well, how's he going to do that? The people that were there on earth knew him. They knew what he had done. They knew what he had accomplished on this earth. 
And he's telling them, I'm about to go, which didn't make sense to them either. They didn't know what was going on or they didn't want to know what was going on. And he said, but I'm sending somebody else. John chapter 14, in verse 15, it says, if you love me, obey my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be with will be in you. God, Jesus on earth is sending the Holy Spirit to us and we have that Holy Spirit now and that's where he passes the baton and as much as I felt so, or as bad as I felt for my guys in that track meet for dropping the baton, we know that the Holy Spirit, Jesus, God is not gonna drop the baton on us. The title of this sermon is why we have hope. We have hope just like the disciples had Jesus with them there in life. We have the Holy Spirit here with us. And that gives us hope because we have the Holy Spirit telling us and leading us and guiding us. And just as it says here in the Bible, the Holy Spirit will lead you to the truth. Well, who's the truth? Jesus is the truth. And we're going to talk about that here in just a few minutes. Now, my question now that I have is what is Jesus doing now? That's the question that I have now. You see, the disciples had Jesus here on earth. We did not get to experience that with him physically, personally, but we get to experience that with the Holy Spirit. But what's Jesus doing now? The Bible tells us after his resurrection, he ascended back into heaven to sit at the uh, right hand of God. And he tells us that he's going there to prepare a place for us. John chapter 14, verses one through four, it says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, I would have, what would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. Jesus is gone right now and he's preparing us a place. That's the first thing he's doing. What is Jesus doing right now? He is preparing us a place. And the Bible promises us right here in these first four verses of John chapter 14 that where he is going, he's getting everything ready. And when it's done, he's going to come and get us so that we will always be with him and where he is. And then he adds on, we know the way to where he's going. So if Jesus has gone, number one, to prepare for us a place, number two, the second thing he's doing right now is he's preparing us for that place. Number one, he's preparing us a place. Number two, he's preparing us for that place. When we look at this, you know, one of the things I do not like to do probably the most in this life is moving. If you've ever had to move and you like it, more power to you. I can't stand moving. But you know, when you have to move something, you have to do a few things. The place you're moving to has to be made ready. If there's improvements that need to make, if there's things that need to happen, you have to get those improvements done. And then when they're ready, then you can move in. But while you're getting the new house ready, you have to get your old house ready to move. So you pack boxes, you wrap things up, you make sure everything's going to be moved safe. So you're preparing a place to move, but you're having to prepare your stuff, your things to be moved as well. And that's what Jesus is doing in our life right now. This is, that's what he's doing with us, those of us who are Christians. And in the same time that he's preparing us for that place, he's also leading us 
to bring others with us. That's what we're supposed to do. So Jesus tells us in uh, John 14, verse six, it says this. It says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, this is coming from a question that... uh, Thomas asked, Jesus said in the verse one through four, I'm going to bring you with me. You're going to always be with me and you know where I'm going. Thomas says, no, we don't, Lord. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know that way? And Jesus responds and says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And we're going to look at how he's preparing us using that statement right there. Number one, he's the way. And I want you to understand today that the way is a person and that person is Jesus Christ. If you look at Confucius and you look at the different things he taught, his name of his teachings were known or were, if you translated it, were the way. But that's the thing. That's just his teachings. That's his beliefs. That's his way of trying to teach everyone. We don't have to worry about beliefs in terms of being the way. The way is a person and that person is Jesus Christ and he was here for us. Here's here's what I want to share this with if you're trying to get somebody to come to your house and they don't know where your house is you have a few options the first thing you can do to help somebody find you is you can give them directions and say go here turn here turn at this road look for this house the third one on the right and you'll find it and that is a perfectly good way to get somebody to your house the second thing you could do is give them a map and you can say, hey, follow this map. It's going to direct you straight to the house. That's There's nothing wrong with that way either. The third thing you can do is go to that person and say, follow me. And you lead them to your house. If we look at the Bible and look at what God has told us to do as Christians to prepare us for going to that place that he's preparing for us, He's given us directions. He tells us to go and reach others. So how do we reach others? Well, the first thing we can do is we can go and tell people about Jesus and tell people about the salvation that he gave and is made available for us. And there's nothing wrong with that. We should do that. We should go and tell, just like you would tell directions for someone to get to your house. We need to go tell people about Jesus. The second thing we could do is give them a map. He gave us a map. He gave it to us right here, and we need to share this Bible with everyone else. We need to share the directions and the map that God has given us to get to Him in the end. But the best thing that we can do, and something that I think a lot of times we we forget about, is we could just go and meet them and lead them. How did Jesus live? When He was on this earth, He told us He was the way. It wasn't as much as what he said, which was great, which you can't ignore, or the things that he did. It was the fact that it was him. And if you live like him, if you follow him, he's going to lead you to where he is. So that's the thing that we should do. If you're trying to get somebody to your house, you can give them directions, you can give them a map, but the easiest way to do it is go to where they are and lead them to where they're going. And as Christians, we could give them directions, we can show them the map, but we should go meet people where they are and bring them back to where we're going. We should be that example that Jesus was for us. The way is a person and we should imitate Christ in a way that would bring others to him.
when uh, the Jesus ascended into heaven, the Bible tells us that his followers here on earth became known as the way because they were followers of the way. Um, the Bible tells us, I believe it's in Acts where uh, Saul is going out trying to find and persecute the Christians. One of the verses specifically says that he was going out looking for people who follow the way. Well, who was the way? It was Jesus. Um, there's another place in scripture where it talks about there was a, a big commotion that was stirred up and it was because of the followers of the way. We should be followers of the way today and the way is Jesus and we should be living a life that would show to people who we follow and we're leading others to him. So Jesus is the way. He's preparing us for that place as the way. He tells us where we're going and how to get to him. He's also the truth. Jesus says in verse six, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. He says, I am the path to God. I am who brings you to God. When you found me, you have found the truth. There's a lot of people out there in our society today that will tell you this is the truth. Um, I get caught up in, in reading articles, and especially today if you watch the news, um, there's so much... Um, to be nice, let's call it half-truths. Things that are kind of true, but they're spun in a way to get a certain uh, direction or a point across. And there's truth to everything that they've said, but it's not the whole truth. We as Christians don't have to worry about whether something is true or not, or where it's not true or not, or not true or not. We have the whole truth in Jesus. And that's something that we can have hope in. We can have faith in. You know, if you, if you research things on the internet long enough, you can find something that will support your belief. Um, that's because people have put enough money and things into research that they're going to find a way to support whatever they want to their point they want to make. And if they're paying for the research, the research is going to come back in their favor. So if you have a viewpoint, you can search long and hard on the internet and eventually you'll find something that will agree with you. But when we have the map that Jesus gave us in the Bible, we just need to read it and know that what it says is the truth. It's the word of God. It's not changed. It hasn't changed. And it's telling the story of the truth of Jesus. He is the path to God. And when you found him, you found the truth. So we can have hope today knowing that what the Bible tells us, what Jesus did and the example that we're following in him is the truth. The last thing that Jesus tells the disciples here is he is the life. Jesus wants you to have life and he wants you to have it more abundantly. He is the life. If you live in that life of Jesus, your life is going to be great. And not only that, it's going to be more abundant. As we talked about last week, every other path, religiously, spiritually, physically, every other path, in our world, in the history of the world, leads to death. Jesus is the only path in this life that leads to eternal life. He's the only one. There's nothing else in this world that can give you eternal life other than Jesus. And if he wants you to have life and wants you to have it more abundantly, imagine what that life in heaven is going to be like. If it's more abundant here, we can't put into words how great it will be there in eternity. You know, Jesus went through so much on the cross. He went through so much here on earth to go 
and prepare us a place. You know, when I think about heaven and I think about what it's going to be like, I have ideas, but in my human mind, we have the description that the Bible gave to us of what it's going to be like, but we can't comprehend the magnitude of how great it's going to be. You know, we've talked about before how there's been, and we even talked about last week, how there's different words that have been made up to try to explain what is, or it's things that have gone on in the life of Christ. Um, We've talked at church before how uh, holy, 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 those three words together, they put those words together three times because there's not a word to describe how holy God is. So they have to say it three different times to get that point across. You know, he's preparing us a place and it's going to pass our imagination. And I don't tell you that to try to talk you into going there. I can't do that. I can try to do what I need to do in my life to lead you there as an imitator of Christ, as being a Christian, and to try to help you find him, the truth, the way, and the life but he's preparing for us a place. The Bible says he's preparing a mansion for each one of us. Cliff saying victory in Jesus, and it talks about that. There's a mansion waiting for each of us. But in order for us to move, we have to be prepared ourselves. So he's preparing a place for us. And at the same time, he's preparing us for that place. You know, there's a story I didn't tell last week about the resurrection, and I'm going to close up today telling this story um, or this this part of the resurrection story. The, the, the Bible tells us that when the disciples and when Mary and looked into the tomb and they saw the grave clothes were laying there in their spot, um, it also says that the, the head napkin, the headscarf was, or was put over to the side. Um, there's a story and there's a, there's a belief that in the old ancient Hebrew tradition and Jewish tradition that as a master or the leader of the house was sitting at the dinner table, he would be served by his servants. And the servants could not be in the presence of the master while he was eating. They would be off in a corner or around a corner and would be watching from a different viewpoint. During the meal, if that master got up to leave, and he was coming back, he would take his napkin and fold it and set it to the side. And that let that servant know that we're not going to clean the table yet. He's coming back. But if he got up and just wadded the napkin up or rolled it up and threw it on his plate or on the table, that meant that he was done. So the servant knew to come and clear the table. He wasn't coming back. And the Bible tells us that that napkin, that head napkin, the wrap they had around Jesus's head in the tomb was folded and placed on the side where it was set apart. And if that tradition is right, if that Jewish and Hebrew tradition is right, he sent us a message there. And I don't know why it would be put in the Bible that way, that specific of, of, that's not a detail that would be put there unless it was there for a purpose. So what would that purpose be? If he took that napkin, that head scarf, that head wrap and folded it up and placed it to the side from that tradition, we can know that that means that our master, our savior is coming back. And one day he's coming again to take us home. That home that he's preparing for us, that mansion that he's preparing for us will be ready. The question is, is will we be ready to go and be with him? He's preparing us. He's providing that way. 
Are we going to be ready to go be with him? Guys, I, I can't help but believe I, I'm new to this preaching thing. Um, I don't have the education or the, the uh, knowledge that a lot of preachers have, especially when you get into Revelation in the end times, but I know how to read. And I know by reading that book, if the disciples thought that Jesus could return at any time, then way back then, then I know that the return of Jesus is closer now than it's ever been. And if you read the books and you read what has to happen before he returns, there's not much left at all. We are on the verge of Jesus returning. I don't know if that's going to happen today. I don't know if that's going to happen next year. I don't know if it's going to be a hundred years from now. I don't know. I just know it's soon. And it's important. It's vital that we are ready to go and meet him. It's vital for our eternity that we're ready to move into that mansion that he's prepared for us. How do we do that? You have to know him as your savior. You have to have accepted him and built a personal relationship with him. As we close this service, I'm gonna, like I did last week, I'm gonna offer a prayer that would allow you to accept Jesus Christ if you've never done that. And if you've never accepted him, it's not a prayer. It's not something that has to be perfect. It's a change of heart. And what you have to do is just let Jesus know that you want him to be the king of your life and you have to surrender your life to him and then allow him to be the Lord of your life. If you've never accepted Christ, if you have doubts whether you've accepted Christ and you want to nail it down, you can do that now. If you've never known him, he's preparing a place for you. Are you ready to move into that place when you die or when he comes back. If you don't know him today, say this prayer with me. Just repeat it in your heart or say it out loud however you feel. Dear Heavenly Father, I love you, Lord. I thank you for dying on the cross for me. I know I'm a sinner. I confess my sins. I believe you died and rose again on that third day. I want you to be the king of my life. I surrender my life to you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for the eternity you've given me. And I love you for what you've done for me. In your name I pray, amen. If you said that prayer for the first time, or if you had a, not the first time, but it meant something different in your heart, then you have just accepted that salvation that Jesus has given you. It's that simple. It's that easy. If you've done that, we want to help you. Feel free to text me, to message me on Facebook, message the church on Facebook, and let us know that you just accepted Christ. We want to pray for you. We want to help be the leaders that we need to be. We want to help lead you into that walk and that life with Jesus. We want to give you the directions. We want to help you with the Bible. We want you to follow us as imitators of Christ. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast from Crossroads, South Arkansas. If you're in our area, we would love to have you join us in person for a service. Crossroads, South Arkansas, reaching, inviting, serving, and expecting.